thank you for visiting the website of the Laurel Heights Church of Christ, McAllen, Texas. In the book of Numbers, chapters 22 through 24, an interesting story is told. And within that story, valuable lessons we can explore and apply today. I want to let Scripture tell us part of that story. While there is a lot to digest in these three chapters in Numbers, I'd like to concentrate on one part of the story, one statement about God it will be good for us to study. Here's the story of Balak and Balaam. And this was at the time when the nation of Israel came to the plains of Moab before their movement over into the land of Canaan under Joshua. I'll not go into every detail, just a sketch of the story and then to that statement for our study. The Israelites came to the plains of Moab, camping near the Jordan River. Now God had instructed the Israelites to not harm the Moabites. We can read about that in Deuteronomy chapter 2 and verse 9. However, the Moabites do see a threat. They are afraid of so many people so near to their land, and the Moabite king was Balak. He sent a delegation to visit a man who was believed to have special powers, Balaam. Balak wanted to hire Balaam to put a curse on the nation of Israel. Balaam received the delegation, kept them overnight, consulted with the Lord, and then told the Moabites he couldn't go. Another delegation was sent to Balaam. Balaam said, it doesn't matter how much money you offer, I cannot disobey the Lord my God in anything great or small. The next night, God came to Balaam and said, these men have come to ask you to go with them. Go, but only do what I tell you. Balaam went the next day. And in a strange encounter with his donkey, we are led to conclude something wasn't right in Balaam's heart. God saw motives of power and deceit. This is evident in other passages that make reference to this. Numbers 31 verse 8 and New Testament passages, Revelation 2.14 and Jude 11. So God used the donkey and an angel to stop Balaam and get him to see his wrong. Balaam was told to go on to Balak of Moab and to do and say only what the Lord said. Balaam arrived and he delivered four messages to Balak of Moab. I want to read part of Balaam's second message. Some other time, we'll look at those New Testament passages about the error of Balaam. Our present concern is the statement of Balaam recorded in Numbers 23, verses 19 and 20. Here is that statement in Numbers 23, 19 and 20 from the New International Version. God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, 
and I cannot change it. We know how important it is to learn what the Bible says about God, about who God is in his nature and action and reaction, in love and steadfastness and sovereignty. Well, this is one of those passages that can well instruct us about the truth of God, the truth about God. We're going to take a few minutes and look at the components of this powerful statement of truth about God uttered by an imperfect man, but expressing truth we need today. Start here. God is not human, not a man. Now, it may be we regard this statement as self-evident. Of course, God is not a man, not human. We know that but it will be useful for us to pause and explore this, to give this more than just passing thought, and to consider the difference between God and man. This is crucial in a culture where secular humanism, theological confusion, and ill-conceived progressive thought denies or blurs that distinction. We need to know and we need to preach to others the truth about who God is in contrast to the truth about who man is. And we can start at a very simple Genesis level. God is the creator. We are the created. That's a basic starting place, right? On the first page of the Bible, there is this affirmation that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and made man in his own image. Then in the book of Acts, we have Paul's sermon at Athens, where he said, we are God's offspring. And he said, we ought to seek him and reach out for him. Acts 17, 24 to 31. It is good for us to know our place. We are the creatures made by God. He is the creator. Deity is perfect, eternal, and sovereign. Humanity is seen to be imperfect, subject to death, and in need of divine guidance. And would you consider that in his eternal existence, his perfect knowledge, his sovereignty, his power, God is not a man, not human, and his son was divine, is divine. More about that in the other video posted on the site for today. The simple fact, the truth that God is not human is foundational to our understanding of God and his will and what we do about his will. He is the Almighty God. So we cannot deal with God as if he was one of many humans. We cannot deceive him. We cannot manipulate him. We cannot hide anything from him. We cannot get together and form a group and lobby him. God is not a man. The NIV says God is not human. It seems so simple to us. Yet this profound truth is often ignored, dismissed, or denied. Then it says, as we just keep reading, God is not a human that he should lie. 
Once we understand who God is, that he is not man, we are in position to better appreciate his perfection, his faithfulness, that what we often see in ourselves and in other human beings we will never find in him. And one element of his perfection is when God speaks, it is the truth, always, all the time, every word, completely trustworthy. God is not a man that he should lie. You may, you may catch yourself in some dishonesty. You may find out humans have lied to you, but you will never make such a discovery about God. God is never lied. Titus 1 and verse 2 says God cannot lie. Balak was capable of deceit. Balaam was capable of greed and pride and the sins attributed to him in the New Testament. God, however, cannot lie. And this fundamental is well argued by the writer in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. I want to read Hebrews 6, 9 through 20, and learn what it says about God. Though we speak in this way, that's Hebrews 6, verse 9, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation." So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, one translation says the immutability of his counsel, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement. One translation says strong consolation to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. There's a lot there, Hebrews 6, 9 through 20. The main point of this paragraph can be put this way, it is impossible for God to lie. And the result for us is captured by that phrase, strong encouragement or strong consolation. This is the immutability of his counsel. Paul's here 
And make this vital connection. God is not like us. He is not man, cannot lie. And as the Hebrew writer develops this, the result for believers is captured by that phrase that we might have strong encouragement. Here is a case where the truth about God produces great benefit for us today in the form of encouragement, strong consolation. We are dealing here with simple truth. You can trust the Word of God. You can read the Bible knowing you are getting the truth. Once you learn what God wants you to do, how He wants you to live, you can rest in the comfort and confidence of His Word. You have hope as an anchor of the soul. And one dimension of that hope is the integrity of God. That's the fundamental dimension of it, the immutability of His counsel. You can trust God. Men may disappoint you. Good men may let you down. Preachers and teachers may be mistaken or deceive. But you can open your Bible and read God's will and know His integrity is steadfast. God is not human that he should lie. Well, there's more in Balaam's statement. Not a human being that he should change his mind. We need to talk about that. God doesn't change his mind the way men change their minds, for he is not a son of man, not a human being. Now, it can be said God changes his mind but not the way humans change their minds. Let me explain from the book of Jonah. God decreed or proclaimed that Nineveh would perish because of their sin. But the Bible says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he changed his mind. The King James Version says he repented. Now, that's not repentance as when humans sin and repent. No, That's a change of mind God had a right to when he saw people turning from their sin. God changes his mind in the sense that is appropriate to his sovereignty and perfection. But he doesn't change his mind in the typical human sense because he is not a man. We know what it is like when men change their minds. We are familiar with people who make promises, then change or make commitments, then change, obey the gospel, then change, marry, then change by violating that vow on and on. God is not like that. God's commands hold integrity. His promises will be kept according to his will and upon the basis of any conditions he has attached to them. The vital difference between humanity and deity, the ordinary and the extraordinary, That's the thrust of this statement in Numbers. So in the light of all this truth about deity, Balaam is compelled to say, I cannot change it. Whatever might be said about the character and sins of Balaam, documented over in the New Testament, Balaam was compelled to say the truth, I cannot change it. Whatever God has decided to do about Israel's destination, their route, their protection, their arrival. Balaam, though an imperfect man, knew this, had learned this about God, and said, I cannot change what God is determined to do. 
Now let's compare the case of Nineveh with the case of Balaam. At Nineveh, men didn't just change God's mind because they wanted their will to prevail. No, the process was they repented. Then God changed his mind about punishing them. In the case of Balaam, he is saying to the Moabites, I cannot change simply by my will what God has determined. See, the case of Nineveh and the case of Balaam are not identical at all. In Nineveh, you have people repenting. Then God deciding he would not punish them. Something everybody knows God has a right to do. What Balaam is saying is, men cannot impose their will on God because God has sovereignty. We cannot change what he has decided simply because we want to. God is not like us or our fellow human creatures. We may influence or persuade our fellow man to change, favorable to what we desire. We do not have that option with God, except in the event of our repentance. We cannot lobby God, bribe God, veto God, cancel God, or cancel His will for our lives. God is not human, not a human being, that he should change his mind. In the case of Balaam, while he was capable of coveting ill-gotten gain, it is said in Jude 11, he couldn't bless or curse on his own. God had, long before this time, decided he would bless Israel. He would see his people to their destination. His promise to the offspring of Abraham would find fulfillment. So God would bless Israel in this matter. Balaam says, I cannot change that. The story of Balaam is a story with many dimensions of interest and application. One thing to be noted is he was a man who, not always governed by good motive, nevertheless expressed profound insight about things that matter. One man said about Balaam, very blind to his own state, yet knowing valuable truths about the nature of God. Now, in this case, God's will is not subject to human whim or influence. God's fixed will, God's revealed instructions cannot be changed by men. Balaam said it well and simply, I cannot change it. I want you to think about this as it applies to human religious laws, systems, and creeds. The Pharisees, for instance, started with God's revealed will then changed, manipulated, added, and subtracted. Throughout religious history from the time of Christ until now, men presumed to have such authority, to take what God has said and apply their wisdom to it, to change it, manipulate, add, subtract. Denominational religion would die if men would give up this presumption and simply would take people back to the Bible. Men and women need to be convinced of this. We cannot change what God has decided and said and commanded. There is a propensity sometimes to blame preachers for what God has said. Getting mad at a preacher when he presents exactly what God has said. That's immature. It fails to take into account the preacher doesn't originate the teaching, nor can preachers or elders change it. What is needed is full recognition of the sovereignty of God, which means also the rule 
of Jesus, our King, and the authority of Scripture. That's expressed in this statement, I cannot change it. Here's what the man said, Numbers 23, 19 and 20. God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot change it. Simple words from this man and this rather complex scene that demonstrates the vast difference between God and man. Now, the Bible says Balaam had his serious flaws of character documented, I said earlier, in the New Testament, Jude 11, 2 Peter 2, but he had a knowledge of the true God, and God used him for divine purpose. He knew some basic things we need to know and teach about God. God is not a man, does not lie, does not change as men change, nor can men change his will. Let's extend what we've learned here into life. Not just in our study and knowledge and teaching, but in mind, in thought, in prayer, in life. There must be respect for who God is. He has not left himself without witness. The gift of inspiration was imparted to the writers of this book, which is full of instruction and warning and character-building principles for our good use. And because of Christ, we can be forgiven of sin, entering into fellowship with God through the activity of our faith to serve God wholeheartedly, daily, and reverently. You will never regret serving God. Thank you for listening.